0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. When you look at Cross Culture Church, what do you see? What is a great church?
1: Right now, I see a small group of people meeting in a big building.
0: Does the size of a church make it great? When
1: you see Cross Culture Church, do you see two, three, four thousand people? coming and worshiping God at cross-culture church
0: is it the programs or how wonderful the worship may be
1: right now I I see a church that that can't get 15 people to go to Boston and 15 people to go to Peru or
0: is it something more
1: I refuse to believe that what I see now is what God wants to do at this church I refuse to believe
0: it. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in the middle of our current series, Making the Grade as a Great Church. And we're looking at characteristics of the early church found in the book of Acts.
1: If we do not grow weary, and I know we do, if we do not grow tired, if we do not give up, if we do not walk away, that's a characteristic of a great church, a church that says God wants to do something new.
0: Today, Pastor Clay is taking us to Acts chapter two, where we will discover characteristics of the first century church that made it a great church. Great thing for us is that those same characteristics can be part of the church today. So, let's go to school to discover what it takes to make the grade as a great church. Now, here's Pastor Clay. I want you to the
1: We are in school. We are talking about what makes a great church and how to make the grade as a great church. What does it take to make the grade? And we are looking at uh, subjects that... Uh, that I did in the letter C. And so we're aiming for straight C's, right? We're aiming for straight C's as a church. Because we're seriously asking the question uh, for, uh, for cross-culture church. Are we a great church? Or if not, what would, what would it take for us to be a great church? What does a great church look like? And I said that very first week, it's not necessarily based on size. You may remember what I said. Bigger is not necessarily better. Better is better. Now, having said that, and I'll say something about that this morning, uh, a great church ought to be reaching people. A great church ought to be growing. A great church ought to be seeing folks uh, baptized. So we'll talk some about that today. But there are, there are big churches that aren't necessarily great churches because there perhaps could be some elements missing it. just in the same way there can be small churches that aren't necessarily great churches because there's some elements missing so we're aiming for straight c's and we're working our way through uh acts chapter one and acts chapter two looking at the early church the first century church the very beginning of the church after jesus goes back to heaven and the church as we're going to see today the church is birthed it is born we're going to see that event actually today and look at a few of the elements that that church that first century church there had, originally in Jerusalem, that started in Jerusalem, but it didn't stay in Jerusalem, right? It spread out, right? The, making the grade as a great church. Listen, hear my heart. You'll hear some of my heart today. I truly desire for this church to be a great church. Not in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes. What does that take? What does that look like? be a great church if you have brought a copy of god's word you can open it to Acts chapter two if you have an electronic version or whatever the case may be of course as always our, our faithful audio video team will have the uh, uh the text back there on the screen unless we have trouble with the viewing like we had trouble with the sound a minute ago. i don't know Acts chapter two is where we are and i'm going to i'm going to share time permitting and share uh, three ideas with you three subjects uh, where we need to make a C. y'all ready all Let right, me give you the first one, and then we're going to read the text as we go today, because there's a good bit of reading of the text that needs to go on. And I hope that you're alert, I hope you're looking uh, faithfully at the Word of God and seeing what God would speak into your heart and life about this today and what makes for a great church. First subject we're covering today is, in a great church, there is a realization of something new created. That is a characteristic of a great church. There will be, there will be a, rec- somebody's going to recognize, there'll be a realization, hey, something new is happening here. Something new is going on here. God is up to something. Can I ask y'all a question? And I'll probably ask this again. I'm sure I'll forget that I've already said this. But do y'all desire to be a part of God being up to something? You know what I'm saying? When you just, you just see something happen and you say, man, that, that God is in that. God is doing something. Man, I do. I'm telling you, I, I do. Let's start reading uh, this morning uh, in Acts chapter 2. Maybe begin in verse 1 and read through verse 12. And then we'll just kind of break that down about this idea of of recognizing something new is being created. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Doesn't necessarily mean, by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was a literal, There was literal fire. The them. They're, they're describing, the writer's describing what this looked like as it came uh, upon them. And obviously, this is a supernatural event. And rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit... And began to speak with other tongues, other glacia, other languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. I'll explain in a minute why there were multiple languages. They were amazed and astonishing, astonished, saying, Why? Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Aren't they from northern Israel? Shouldn't they be speaking Ara- Aramaic or, or, or Hebrew? Are, aren't, they, aren't they Jews? Verse 8, And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Father God, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would give us uh, clarity today as we look at your word, we discuss the truth of your word God, uh, the event that we're reading about and we're going to talk about it in a few moments, uh, that in a sense was a one-time event. It was the birth of the church. Uh, it was this uh, rapid dissemination of the gospel as these people went back to their homes and you had purposes and plans for that. But God, this movement of your spirit and the power that was manifested in that place is something that I believe that we can still see today in local churches all over the world. I believe we can still see something new being created, so I ask God that as we look at this text today, that each one of us would just just look into the implications of this for our own life, and where we fit in this in this local body called Cross Culture Church, and, and what the implication for the church as a whole would then mean. God, uh, may your messenger boy be accurate in in his explanation of your text today may our ears be open and alert there's so many distractions so many things that can pull people away even the course of this message today but i pray that your spirit would rule our hearts and our lives in jesus name i'm asking it amen okay in a great church there's a realization of something new created let's talk about it the text opens by by saying that they're there that it's pentecost pentecost the word pentecost uh comes from the greek word it's essentially a transliteration it comes from the from the greek word pentecoste which simply means 50 or or 50th you can you can see it even there in penta 5 fi- 50th it was called uh, pentecost or 50th because this this particular jewish festival or celebration took place 50 days after another jewish celebration that you may be more familiar with, known as Passover. Passover, you've heard that, right? In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, this celebration was known as Shavoth. I'm sure that's not how a good upstanding Jew would say it, but I'm a country boy from South Central Florida. So Shavoth, or the the translation would literally be Weeks. And this festival was, among other things, called the Festival of Weeks, because it took place seven weeks after Passover. Seven times seven is 49. So on the 50th day would begin what? What would begin the 50th day after Passover? Pentecost. Yeah, I know. I realize that. You know, this is, this is history stuff I'm throwing out at you. But y'all all right? Yes. So, uh, so f- uh, 50 days or, or seven weeks after Passover would come Pentecost or Shavuot. This festival was one of, th- I believe there were three uh, festivals that the Jews had that were considered pilgrimage festivals. In other words, that if at all possible, men and women on, during these festival times would make a pilgrimage. They would go back to Jerusalem or go to Jerusalem. Many of them been born in other parts of the world. They would go to Jerusalem for that particular festival uh, and, and celebrate and, and offer uh, up. sacrifice to the Lord, whatever all the Old Testament Scriptures uh, required of them uh, to do. That, If at all possible, they would try and go to Jerusalem to celebrate that. So, Passover, quite honestly, was kind of like the biggest deal. It was a celebration of the death angel passing over them in Egypt and them being delivered from slavery in Egypt. Maybe you all remember that whole story. And the Jews had been celebrating that for hundreds of years. So, so thousands—literally thousands, tens of thousands—of Jews who had been scattered all over the world by that point would come back or come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Right? The city would swell; it would grow by tens of thousands of people during that one time of year. Well, uh, you didn't just catch a flight to Jerusalem, right? It was a—it was a big deal. It was months and months. Uh, Perhaps as much as a year out of your life. If you're going to make this pilgrimage, this, this trip to Jerusalem, it was a big deal. So if you get there, right, and 50 days later is what? Pentecost. There's going to be another Jewish celebration that was also a pilgrimage. Well, there's no sense in heading home. i would only get about a quarter of the way there. So I might as well stay for Pentecost. So tens of thousands of Jews, you understand? Listen, can you see in the economy of God what God is doing here? Can you see precisely, not only the, we understand Passover and the, and the, and the lamb that was sacrificed... ...and the, the beautiful picture of Christ and his sacrifice... ...but how God was going to use this to almost instantaneously disperse the message of the gospel... ...to the entire known world. Literally, within weeks, the gospel went out to the entire world. Because all these people had come from all those different regions and lands that I named there... ...and they all speak different languages, right? That, can you see why God, has, this gift of tongues is suddenly being given... Because all of a sudden they're hearing, they're about to hear this message, they're hearing what's going on, and they're hearing it in their own language. So guess what happens, as we're going to see, when the Spirit of God falls on them, when, they, when conviction comes, when their lives are changed, then they go back. Guess what they do? They take that message with them. Oh my gosh, guys, I can't wait to tell you what happened while I was in Jerusalem. The Messiah came. Let me see what, let me tell you, and, and there it goes. And there comes, this rapid spread of the gospel. The Jews had been gathering for hundreds of years to celebrate Pentecost, and well they should. It was a wonderful uh, celebration of, of, of a lot of different things. But for those men and women gathered there that day, there was a realization, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, something new's happening here, something new's going on. That's a characteristic of a great church. There'll be a recognition that, that God is doing something new. God is wanting to work. God is wanting to change people's lives and, and do a work through, through this, this church. Something new is being created. Maybe all this holiday festival kind of thing, looking at all that, got me thinking about uh, some of the celebrations that, that we have, or festivals or things we have. Yeah, I was thinking about our Independence Day, which will be here before we know it, believe it or not. It'll be July before we before we can turn around, but I was thinking about some of those original signers of the Declaration of Independence, right? And if you've ever been to D.C. or Williamsburg and you've studied some of that history, if you're into that kind of stuff like I am, it's just, it's an interesting study. But, but these, these group of men who came together for this, this experiment in liberty is what they would refer to it as. They came together for this experiment in liberty. They knew that something new was being created. Something new was happening. Most of them, maybe not all of them, most of them recognized or believed that God's hand was in it and that God was moving and that God was doing something new. But the point is they recognized that this was... You see, for for those of us, you know, maybe particularly younger generations that, that I'm just afraid aren't being taught... Some of this stuff anymore. There's there can be a loss of appreciation, but this idea of government of the people and by the people and for the people that was something new. The world had never seen that before, before the United States of America came. Not not really. It had never. You, you've got kings, you've got tyrants, you've got dictators, you got you've got armies or whatever that rule. But government of the people. And for the people and by the people, that was something very, very new. And the, and the signers, the Declaration of Independence understood that. Something new is being created. I read this story, this, this one signer of the Declaration of Independence. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. It was a while back that I read this. But he was being warned, maybe by his people, maybe by his family, whatever. He was being warned not to sign the Declaration of Independence. Because of the, the consequences of signing this thing, he he was he was going he was almost certainly going to lose his wealth, and apparently he was fairly well off. He was going to lose his, his land. He was going to use, lose whatever position that he had in the community. He was great possibility he would lose his life if he signs this Declaration of Independence. And uh, according to the story, the account that I read a number of years ago, uh, the, this this uh, person responded to these to these warnings of consequences. His response was, darn the consequences. But he didn't say darn, okay, right? Darn the consequences. Hand me the pen. In other words, there's this realization that, you know what? Sometimes something new, something better is is worth the sacrifice. It's worth the price that I have to pay. It's worth whatever it costs me to be a part of whatever God is doing in this. It's a realization that something new is being created. I wonder, when you think about uh, cross-culture church, what do you see? What, do, do you understand? you see something new being created? Uh, I don't know who said it. I, I, don't, I, I don't know the person that said it. But it has been said, I had a quote I wanted to show you, that the rare moment is not the moment when there is something worth looking at, but the moment we are capable of seeing. And particularly in our culture, because, right, we're so busy, we're so going, we're so all this and that. But to, to be able to step back and say, no, wait a minute, maybe, maybe God is up to something. Maybe God is, is doing something here. The ability to see what might be going on. I, I read this story that Charles Swindoll told, who was a pastor for many years. Uh, Dr. Swindoll told a story about uh, a man walking down a city street one day. And he, as he's walking down the city street, he comes upon a mason, a, a, a bricklayer. And he, and he comes up to the, uh, to the, ma- to the uh, mason and he says to him, what are you doing? And the mason responds, "Laying bricks. And he says in a rather sarcastic and obnoxious tone, you know, what a stupid question to ask me. He walks a little farther down the sidewalk and he comes to a second mason. And he asks that mason the same question, what are you doing? And the second mason responds, I'm building a cathedral. See, the difference is Perspective. What do you see? What do you see when you when you look at Cross Culture Church? What do you see? Cross Culture Church has been trying to impact lives for over eight years now in, in this in this area in this community. We're not the new kid on the block anymore. We've been trying to to make a difference in and impact some lives, and we have. And I've said that in the last couple weeks. We've done that to some to some degree. We've seen some lives change, and we like the Jews did. For hundreds of years, we should celebrate that. It's okay to, to, to recognize and to celebrate what God has done and, and, and works He's done and lives He's changed and all that kind of stuff. But does there come a place where you would be willing to recognize, hey, God wants to do something new? And listen, a church can be eight months old, eight years old, or 80 years old. It doesn't matter. The fact that, that God is this God that's always desiring to do something new. What do you see when you look at Cross-Culture Church? Do you see a church where God desires to do something new? A new work that impacts new lives to some new level? When you see Cross-Culture let me ask you a question. When you see Cross-Culture Church, do you see... I'm going to make you all laugh. Do you see 2, 3, 4,000 people coming and worshiping God at Cross-Culture Church? Whether it were here or whether it was somewhere else by that point? Some of y'all think I'm silly just for even saying that or thinking that. Do you see thousands of people gathering in small groups all over middle North Carolina and wherever all gathering together and loving on each other and doing community and, and, and growing in the word of God together? Do you see 200 being baptized in a year? What do you see? Because I, I, I'm, I'm no idiot. Like y'all are no idiots. I know we don't see that right now. I know we don't. Right now, I see a, a small group of people meeting in a big building, and and trying to even make that a reality. Right now, I see a church that doesn't baptize nearly enough, but not very many at all in the course of a year. Right now, I I see a church that that can't get fifteen people to go to Boston and fifteen people to go to Peru. Right now, I, I see a church that that financially is just struggling to try and do ministry and 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 move forward in this whole thing but i'm just i'm being absolutely honest with you as i can be i refuse to believe that what i see now is what god wants to do at this church i refuse to believe it because there are hundreds of thousands of people in this area without a relationship with jesus christ not, not just a few thousand, not just a few, hundreds of thousands of people in this community without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I refuse to believe that God does not want this church, this body, to be involved in impacting and reaching those lives. I just refuse to believe it. It is the recognition, the ability to be able to see that something new is being created. That God wants to do something dynamic, something new in the midst of... Of the people, and when I look, sometimes and I say, "God, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I, don't, I don't see anything happening. I don't see what's going on." And there, and there's, and, there, and there are too many. By the way, that's not. There are too many of you who do care. There are too many of you who, who are passionately involved in this thing and invested in this thing. There are too many of you that desire to see the kingdom of God grow. There are too many of you for to see this thing not accomplish its purposes. And I'm right there with you because you look and you say, "But I, but I don't, I don't see it." There's still there's a lot of empty seats in here. And you're talking two or three other services or, or, or satellite camps. I don't see any of that stuff happening. I, I sometimes have to remind myself and perhaps to remind you that the Apostle Paul said and encouraged the church of Galatia with these words when he said, let us not lose heart in doing good for in, the, in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we may have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are the household of the faith. If we do not grow weary, and I know we do, if we do not grow tired, if we do not give up, if we do not walk away to say, God, do something new in our midst. That's a characteristic of a, new, of a, of a great church, a church that says, God wants to do something new. I don't care if we've been here eight years. I don't care if we have to set up and tear down every, every week. I, God wants to do something new. And by the way, that transfers into our individual lives. God wants us to do something new in our lives. And that's when that begins to happen, that, that we see this spread of something greater. Which comes to the second idea that I need to get to this morning. And it is this. In a great church, there is a proclamation of the cross. Something new created? That's a great church. Proclamation of the cross. Let me begin in verse 14. Hang with me now. Uh, But Peter, uh, taking his stand with the eleven. So, you know, all the people there, they've gathered. They've heard this this rushing wind, this noise. They begin to hear all these different, uh, you know, languages being spoken and I'm sure they're they're perhaps they hear their language, but I'm sure they're hearing all these languages and it probably starts sounding like a bunch of gibberish or something. There's a whole bunch of you know what I'm saying? to use today's somebody speaking English, somebody speaking French, somebody speaking Spanish, somebody's speaking German, somebody speaking Italian, and so if you're only if you only stand English and you're hearing all this, you're thinking, whoa, what in the world? Right? Can you see how this would happen? So they so, they let's go check it out. What is all this about? What's going on? So, Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, uh, raised his voice and declared to the men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out "...forth my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come." And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, say it, saved. I know that's a a joke word in our culture today, to talk about it, but that's what God's Word says. Men of Israel, listen to the words... Listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. You guys, he's saying, you guys know it, you saw him, you saw him feed 5,000 with just a little bit of bread and a fish, you saw him raise, raise somebody from the dead, you saw him do this, you saw him restore sight to the blind, you saw all these things, you know that was the power of God. This man delivered over by the predestined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. By the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again. But God raised him up again. Putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath... To seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. In other words, Peter's saying to them, David's not talking about himself. David's dead. His, his tomb's over. David's gone. No, he's looking ahead. God's giving him a vision for something that's, gonna, that's coming ahead. One of his descendants, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses... Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. Clearly, clearly, Peter has never read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence uh, People. Clearly, he has, he has never understood that you can't uh, grow a great church by uh, confronting people with their sin. And that, uh, that is exactly what he does. Why? It is the message of the cross. This Jesus, whom you have crucified, that you put to death, Yes, this was God's plan. Yes, but that doesn't mean that that lets you off the hook. That doesn't mean that it was not of your own volitional will that you chose to to turn this man over to the Romans and to have him put to death. This is on you guys and on all of us who have sinned. It's our responsibility. It's the message of the cross. The message of the cross must be the central message of the church, of a great Church. It cannot abandon this message of the cross. It is, we can't, it's not, the message of the church is not about the cross. The message of the church is the cross. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when I say it is the message of the church, I'm not talking just about the guy who has the privilege and honor of standing up here and proclaiming that truth. It is every single one of us who are the church. That our message is the message of the cross. That's it. That's all we have. That's what we have to proclaim. I, uh, <clears throat> I, re- I read Charles Spurgeon, one of, one of my heroes, one of the great preachers of the 19th century. He was asked one time about his preaching method and Spurgeon said, I read my text and make a beeline for the cross. It, it, it's the cross. Now listen, it doesn't mean that that there are not doctrinal Issues and, the, and ideas that need to be developed, and people understand the, the nature of God and his characteristics, and what sin is. there, 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 there may be things that we deal with. There may be practical application. How do, you, how do you, how do you make your marriage stronger? How do you, how do you walk and hold? There may be practical application from all over, from all over the pages of God's Word, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It may be from all over, but it all must ultimately center around the cross of Jesus Christ. That is our message. That's it. That's, that's what we've got to give. I, uh, one Sunday, and I, I've, I've, I've picked on her a couple of times, I'll confess this. One Sunday, I, in, a, in a message, I said something about Oprah Winfrey's message uh, being contrary to the gospel, um, that she's preaching another gospel, uh, she's, she's preaching that, that the cross is not necessary, and you'd have to go and Google some of her, where she gets onto some religious thing, uh, themes and ideas, but she she preaches that the gospel, the cross, was not necessary, that there are multiple ways to heaven, multiple ways to gain access to God. The Sunday that I did that, we had some guests here for the very first time that were came by the invitation of one of y'all. Thank you for being faithful to invite. But but I, I happened to mention that... that and by the way, if you're thinking, well, Oprah's not a preacher, don't kid yourself. Any of us, in the message that we talk about, in the actions that we convey out in the world, we are, we are preaching, we are communicating some type of message. But anyway, we had some guests here that day, and I said something about Oprah, and they got mad because they said, I, I like Oprah. You know what? I like Oprah. I, she strikes me as a very nice person. And as I've said on multiple occasions, whenever I talk, I've said I think she has done a tremendous amount of good to to women, particularly women all over the world, and schools she started for 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 young girls. I I think she's done a a lot of good. But the message that she proclaims is a falsehood. It's it's a message that moves away from the cross. And 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 so those that those people, those guests left that day in the mad never never came back. And 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 man, I'm it it truly breaks my heart because I I want to see uh, this thing grow i want to see this thing expand i want to see new people come in but it cannot come at the expense of our message it cannot come at the expense of our message uh, we must we, we can't we can't Sebastian. we can't compromise can we we have to remember acts chapter four uh, th- there is salvation no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved that is always going to be a characteristic of a great church and, and if you're thinking right now, if you're thinking, well, I, man, I, I think I, I've seen on TV some great, big, gigantic churches that don't really talk about the cross. Yeah, I, I said to you, a church can grow, a church can get bigger, but it's not great in the eyes of God if it moves away from the message of the cross. That's a good word. Somebody had to write that down. Better is better. But, but, but if we follow this, come on, let's be realistic. If we follow this, oh, the people are going to say, and if you do it at work, if you, if you speak up at your your lunch counter table or if you if you speak up and say no guys a, the bible says there's only one way to heaven through Jesus Christ you 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 narrow-minded you who do you think you are you think your religion is better than ours first off it's not a religion it's a relationship but secondly it is better than theirs not because we're better but because our god is better because our God has redeemed us, He's made it possible. I don't have to try and claw my way into heaven by trying to be good enough or give enough or do enough or whatever enough. Yeah, he, yeah, He did it all, and and that makes Him better. But but if you, if you do that in the world, in which, oh, you you are I cannot believe you are. How can you dare say that your religion is better? How can you? You are so narrow-minded. You are so whatever. Here, here's a word for you. Acts five verse twenty-nine. We must obey God. Rather than men, we just have to, and it may make you unpopular. Listen to me; it could get you fired. And, and I'm not saying to you go in, in, in into your office or your workplace tomorrow and say, "Well, bless God, y'all are all going to hell because y'all all believe in all these other religions." And let let me—I'm not telling you to do that because you, you never you never fight you never argue anybody into the kingdom of God. You love people into the kingdom of God, but love. Includes truth doesn't exclude truth, and that's how the world wants to define love today. Just, well, just no. Love includes truth, and so that's the way it is. Listen, I got to move on, but I'm just saying this to you. This you're going to see. This is a characteristic of a great church. It's going to be the message of the cross. Whether we're talking about up here in the songs we sing, in our in our small groups, uh, in your individual conversation, as you go out into the world, that is our message. It doesn't mean it's the only thing we talk about. But it, the central idea of who we are must be centered on the cross. It's got to be, if we're going to be a great church in God's eyes. And then third, this morning, real quickly. In a great church, there is an atmosphere of conviction. Listen, this is a natural product of the preaching of the cross, right? This is what you're going to see happen, or should see, we should see happen in a great church. This natural product, this atmosphere of conviction. Look at verse 37. Y'all still with me? You still here? Uh, verse 37. Now, when they heard this. In other words, Peter's in-your-face message, this politically incorrect message. Now, when they heard this, they were, what's that next phrase? Pierced to the heart. Pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, each of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins doesn't mean baptism is required for salvation. It means it's it's a natural byproduct of salvation. You repent of your sins, you come to Christ, and you be baptized as as a demonstration of your belief in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for your sins. For the promise is for... What am I reading to? Verse 38? Yeah. For the promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Man, God did this for everybody. He's drawing people to himself. For with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Wow. Wow. <laughs> hey, I would never cut, but if I, if I cut out words from, from the Bible, and yeah, this, that would be some good ones for this generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized in that day. They were added about 3,000 souls. This is the natural byproduct of the proclamation of the cross. There's no, there's no indication that, that Peter was some great orator. Uh, we know he was a hothead, and so he could probably get pretty passionate, but you know, we know he wasn't educated. We know he didn't use probably big flowery words. He just said, hey, hey, let me tell you something. Remember that Jesus guy that hang around here for a while? Y'all, y'all nailed him to the cross? Y'all put him to death? Uh, he rose again the third day. Y'all know it's true, because y'all can't find his body. We saw him face to face. You're responsible for, for what happened. You need to repent and receive Christ as your savior. It's a, and, and, and here it is. So it's proclaimed. But who brings the conviction? That's right. The Holy Spirit. Not, not, not Peter. You, you ought to... You ought to man, you ought. <laughs> I don't know. I, whoever's in 105, they really need it. They... No, the, the Holy Spirit brought conviction. He didn't have to, you know, all right, for the 17th time, let's sing another verse of just as I am. No, the Spirit of God just fell on the place and the people are like, what? We got we to give our life to Jesus Christ. We're in our sins. We thought we were just a bunch of good Jews and we're doing all our ritual things and, we're, and we believe in God, but, but now we just found out that Lost because of our sin, we must receive Christ as our Savior, and they did. Three thousand of them did. I don't know how many were gathered there that day, but I know three thousand of them. You talking about church growth? Because just a few verses before, how many were in the upper room? You remember, Sebastian? No, you know, because you sent me a text about this this week. How many were in the upper room? One hundred twenty. Now there's three thousand one hundred twenty. Just a few days later that's a great church not because 3000 I mean that praise god that's wonderful but because the message of the cross was proclaimed and the Spirit of God brought conviction and the people responded. Now, I want to say this to you and hear my heart. I love you, but I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God brought conviction, and I'm not just talking about salvation. Most of you here may be saved. Maybe not all of you. Some of you here, uh, most of you here are probably saved. But I'm talking about conviction about something that's in your life that shouldn't be there. I'm talking about conviction about th- that you know God has told you you need to be sharing Christ with these people and you're not doing it. I'm talking about conviction about about tithing i'm talking about conviction about the need to go on a mission trip i'm talking about that that it's always being sensitive to that conviction the spirit of god's conviction saying god whoa forgive me and then responding to that any sunday you're in here i know i know i don't any Sunday you're in here, and, and we have this altar call at the, at the end, right? Not that that's some magical moment, but you've heard the Word of God, you've worshipped the living God, you've sung song, and hopefully we're more in tune to the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God speaks to you, when He brings some conviction to your heart, and, and me or somebody else invites you to say, listen, come down here, and, and just publicly give it to God, or, or pray with somebody, or talk with somebody, or make a decision, don't talk yourself out of it. Respond. Oh, you just want to see the altar full guilty as charged. I absolutely do. Because that's when lives begin to be, when we get honest with ourselves and with each other and we don't care I don't care what this person thinks if they see me down there. I care about being right with God and responding to his spirit when he brings conviction into our lives. That is a great church.
0: Something new created, a proclamation of the cross, and an atmosphere of conviction. Those are just a few of the characteristics of a great church. As Pastor Clay pointed out in today's message, God wants to do a new thing in any church where the people are submitting to God's authority and surrendering to His will. Of course, part of that means proclaiming the message of the cross. If a church wants to be great in God's eyes and not in the world's, we have to continue to proclaim the message of the cross. And when the cross is proclaimed, it will create an atmosphere of conviction where we are aware of our sinfulness and where we are striving to live lives holy, set apart to God. When those elements are present, a church really is a great church. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.
1: I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I do
0: Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.